Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by Air Patrol North. Visit airpatrolnorth.ca. Our guest today, Dan Schulman, one of the greatest broadcasters this country has produced. He might just have the best voice in the business. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up! Our guest today hails from Toronto. He is a graduate of the University of Western Ontario. He was the host of Primetime Sports on the Fan. He called baseball, basketball, hockey for TSN, has worked for ESPN since 2001, calling baseball and college basketball. He is the Blue Jays play-by-play man on Sportsnet. He hosts Swing and a Belt podcast. He is called he has called Canada's bronze medal win recently at the World Cup of Basketball currently calling MLB playoff games. He was inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, winner of the Jack Grady Award, nominated for the Ford C. Frick Award, best voice in play-by-play. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Dan Shulman. Dan, great to have you here. That is is very kind of you, Joe. It's great to see you. Thank you for all that. I... I, uh... That's a long list of accomplishments. I'm, I'm starting to feel old looking at that. I guess that means I'm rounding third and heading home right now. Oh, no, I think you're still in second, buddy. You're doing pretty good. We've got a lot, <laughs> we got a lot, a lot, a lot left. In the, look, at, look at Ben Scully for crying out loud and guys like that. So, uh, so look at, you know, knowing you from before and looking back in your bio and whatever, you, you, you're a self-proclaimed math geek. And uh, what made you want to think that you were going to be an actuary? So I remember back in high school, uh, one of my one of my great friends, his name is Jeff, and we were driving around one day and, and I said, Jeff, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to study in, in university. This is probably back in grade 12. As you and I know, we used to have grade 13. That doesn't exist yes. anymore. So probably grade 12. And he said, well, you're a math guy. And he goes, why don't you be an actuary? And I said, what's an actuary? I had no idea what it was. And of course, you couldn't Google that kind of thing. There was no right. internet. Back then, but it was uh, heavy, hardcore math. It was about insurance and pensions and mortality rates and investments and payouts and things like that. And I didn't know what else to do. So I decided to do something in math. It was either that or be a math teacher or an accountant. I really couldn't figure it out. Um, So I decided to give um, uh, being an actuary a try. I went to Western and majored in statistics and actuarial science. And uh, could never have foreseen the, uh, you know, the the sharp right turn my life would make just a few years later. I can't believe that Jeff didn't say, uh, Dan, you should be, you know, calling games on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. What no. the heck? <laughs> no, uh, you know, at 17 years of age, uh, that had never, ever crossed my mind. I mean, I was a sports nut. I'm sure I was very much like what you were when you were. 17 years old, I, you know, lived and died with Toronto teams and well, there weren't as many Toronto teams back then, but I lived and died with Toronto teams and loved the NBA. This is pre Raptors and love football and, and all that. But, you know, I didn't know anybody who made a living in sports or anything like that. So, you know, I, I was brought up to, uh, to get, you know, like a, a have a respectable, uh, career and, you know, that meant either being a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. And an actuary, I always rationalized. It was, was kind of like a branch on the accountant tree. And when I ran it by my parents, grandparents, very traditional family and all that, everybody was excited. And, and 
so off we went. But uh, yeah, I was uh, was my first, second, third, and fourth favorite subject when I was a kid. I took right. every single math course you could take in high school and university. Loved it, loved it, loved it. That part of my brain is not functioning quite as well as it did when I was 17 years of age. But uh, yeah, math, math is where I was headed originally. Okay, so you're an actuary in training and starting to be an actuary, from what I understand. Uh, how do you venture out of that field and in, into the sports field? So if we go back to uh, my first day, literally, at Western, first day of Frosh Week back in September of 1985, um, my parents had always instilled in my sisters and me, don't just go to school, get involved with something, you know, join a club, do something and all that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I took it to heart to a certain extent. I wanted to write for the Western Gazette, which was, and I assume still is, a terrific student newspaper. And I, so I leave my, uh, my dorm room at Saugeen and I walk over to the UCC, the big community center in the middle of campus. And I find the office for uh, the Western Gazette and there's like 200 people in line. And I'm like, what's this wow. line for? And they're like, well, we're trying to volunteer for the Gazette. And I was like, I don't, ha- I don't have it in me to stand in a line no. of 200 people. So sorry, mom and dad. But, uh, and so I started walking back to my room and walked past a door. This is a real sliding doors uh, kind of moment. Uh, walked past a door. It said radio Western. And I knocked on the door and somebody said, come in. And I walked in and I said, is this the campus radio station? And they said, yes. And I said, do you do sports? And they said, yes. And I said, do you need volunteers? And they said, yes. And uh, a week later, I was helping out at a Western Windsor football game uh, for CHRW, the campus radio station. And for the first three years of my four years at Western, I did everything I could do there. I had a talk show. I called football games, basketball games, a little bit of hockey. Um, It was also kind of like my place, like my norm at Cheers bar kind of place. Like that's where I hung out. Uh, They had a bubble hockey table there and a bunch of us would play. Um, and I, I just loved it. I actually stopped in my last year, my fourth year at Western, because um, I, I wanted to make sure I, you know, maxed out on my on my marks and my job interviews. And to be an actuary, you have to write a series of exams too outside of school, and those were very cha- very challenging. So uh, I didn't do any radio at all in my fourth year. Graduated, started work as an actuary, and honestly, Joe, within like three months, I said, I, I don't think this is for me. And, you know, my my bad dad joke is I had my midlife crisis at 22, which I uh, heartily recommend for people. Have your midlife crisis before you have kids and a mortgage. It's much simpler. And um, went to my parents and said, you know what? I want to give radio a try. Uh, And I said, I'll make you a deal. Give me two years to see if I can do anything with it. Uh, And in the meantime, I said, I'll write the GMAT, which is like the the MBA entrance exam. If you want to go to get a, a, a master's degree at a business school. And I wrote the GMAT and, you know, could have deferred, got my mark there, could have deferred acceptances, that sort of thing. So I had that in my back pocket. And I said, give me two years to see if radio works. And nervously, everybody in my family went, okay. And uh, <laughs> it worked out. Well, you know, where, when was the moment that you, did you, like, what was it exactly that you said, I can't be an actuary. I've got to give this radio thing a try. Like, what, what, when was that? Yeah. What was it? So I, I can't remember a specific moment, but I remember the feeling. And part of it was um, my dad was a dentist. And mm-hmm. my dad, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was the most wonderful man I ever met in my life. And, and 
The only time he ever changed was Sunday nights. We would watch some football and then 60 minutes would come on and we'd watch 60 minutes. And um, sometime after 60 minutes, like Sunday night, his personality would change a little bit. He would get just tense, quiet. And um, he didn't love going back to work Monday morning. You know, he uh. didn't really... Uh, he didn't really have a choice in what he did. I, I mean, he had to do one of a certain number of things in order to help the family and and things like that. So, um, you know, I saw how he felt on Sunday nights and I just internally said to myself, whatever I have to do, I have to do it for 40 years. So I may as well be happy. And I guess I'm not very good at doing something when I'm not happy. And because after like three months, I started to feel like what I thought my dad felt like. Yeah. On Sunday nights. Yeah. So um, I decided to make a change. And, and obviously, I'm very happy that I that I did. It's worked out well. And I love what I do. And I've had so many great experiences and memories and relationships and, and that sort of thing. But it really goes back to to kind of watching my dad on Sunday nights. Yeah, that, that's that's great that, you know, to catch yourself at that age. I mean, can't believe like how many guys started their careers, gals, too, in, in, in you know, uh, campus radio. Like Jeff Merrick, who was on, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and then before that, we have Steve Paik and, and all these, all these, uh, you know, individuals that started their, their careers. Me, I started at the University of Alberta, and I, I was taking drama. I was going to be an actor, so not exactly the same kind of nuts and bolts yeah. guy that you were, I guess. But, but, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, we just didn't sit right, but start doing this broadcasting stuff and you know what there's there's a, the bug gets you right the bug gets you oh. so w when you're on the radio and and at the university of western i mean there's a lot of people must be listening like, wow that guy's got that guy's got quite a quite a voice you i'm sure you've heard that many times throughout your career is it something that you worked on or is it something that just came that's it naturally it, it's funny when i was 18 19 years old um I don't think my voice was quite the same as it is now, but my dad and I had such similar voices that he used to like pretending he was me. Like if he answered the phone, <laughs> uh, like if a friend, of, yeah, yeah, real fun joke. But like if uh, you know there were no yeah. uh, cell phones, yeah, you had a you had a one phone line in your house, right? And if somebody called a friend of mine, or maybe the twice in my whole life, a girl called the house or something like that, you know, he liked to <laughs> pretend he was me. So I think I just got it from him, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I, I never really did anything. When I started doing stuff at Western, you know, your friends are your friends because they're because they can, you know, they say mean things to you. And like a couple of guys at Western were like, you know, you don't stink. Like you're not terrible at this or anything. But I never, honestly, in those three years that I did it, and I did it a lot. Um, you know, I bet you I called forty or fifty basketball games, a bunch of football games, did a talk show once a week for three years. Like I, I, I did a lot, but not for one moment did I ever think. Maybe I can do this for a career. And not once did anybody ever say to me, maybe you can do this for a career. It was just a fun thing that I was doing on the side. I, I was 100% committed to becoming an actuary until I got out into the workforce and decided maybe uh, maybe it wasn't the best choice. Right. So tell us about getting the job at the fan and how that transpired. So my first job was at a station called CKBB in Barrie, Barrie, Ontario. For those who don't know, you know, I was about 50 miles mm -hmm north of Toronto. And um, so I'll back up for a sec. When I'm an actuary and I decide I want to get into radio, uh, again, uh, for people who are, say, 40 and under, imagine a world with no internet and how hard these things were. And what I would do is I took out the, the phone book for the Toronto numbers, but sometimes I would just dial like 
Kitchener information, Guelph information, Kingston mm. information. And I would say to the operator, what's the name of the all news radio station in Kitchener? And maybe they would know, maybe they wouldn't. And if they yeah. did, they would tell me and I would say, can I have the phone number for that? Or can you put me through? And you knew it. You, you'd pay like 60 cents or whatever it was for an information call. And, and I'd get yeah. connected to the radio station. And then somebody would answer, a receptionist. And I would say, um, do you have a news director? And they would say, yes, we have a news director. And I would say, can I speak to your news director, please? And then maybe I'd get through to that person. Maybe I wouldn't. And then that person, I would say, hi, my name is, and this is my situation. And I always, I, I don't know why I knew to say this, but I always said this. I always said, I'm not asking for a job, but I was wondering if I could drive out to your station and give you a tape, a cassette tape, which is what we used back then, yeah. think, you know, yeah. of my work and just, you know, get some tips from you about how to get into the business. So I bet you I tried to call 40 to 50 radio stations. I bet you I got through to 10. I bet you five of them agreed to meet me and one offered me a job. And that was at CKBB in Barrie. And I got offered a job to be a Saturday, Sunday morning newscaster, which I had never done in my life. I had done basketball games in a talk show. Mm -hmm. um, I got offered a job to be a Saturday, Sunday morning newscaster for $6 an hour. And I took <laughs> it. I didn't quit my actuarial job yet because my radio job was Saturday, Sunday. For a, so for about three, four months, I, I had to have been the only combination actuary newscaster in world history like nobody else ever could have done that and after about three or four months somebody who worked at ckbb went on maternity leave and a job opened up and they offered me a full-time job so i took a job in barry and i worked in barry for about 18 months and learned an unbelievable amount of stuff because i didn't have really any background i didn't take a journalism degree or a broadcasting degree like i was right. doing stuff at west but i i really there was so much of the business i didn't know and I was covering elections and court cases and doing newscasts and weather and traffic reports and in memoriam listings and the pet patrol and everything you could think of that happens at a small town radio station happened at CKBB in Barrie. Uh, met some wonderful people, uh, learned a lot from all of them and was there about 18 months. And then a, a, a friend of mine from, uh, from university who lived in Toronto literally knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who was an executive at CJCL. It wasn't the fan yet. It was CJCL. Right. It was the music of your life. It hadn't even gone all sports. Yeah. Um, but they did, as you know, they had the Blue Jay games and the Leaf games, and they had a little bit of a sports presence in the evenings and that sort of thing. And uh, I met with um, John Ray was the station manager, and he put me in touch with Scott Metcalf, who was the news director, who without him, I'm nowhere. And uh, he listened to my tape and he said, OK, there's something here, but you're not ready yet. He said, how about every Friday when you're finished work at Barry and you drive back down to Toronto, you come here and we listen and bring me some newscasts and we'll listen. And we did that for about two, three months. He sat with me every Friday and uh, air checked me and went over it and over it and over it. And eventually it, it turned into a part time job down there. Wow. I, I, I'm thinking back to when you, like, I, I did the same kind of thing, got a bunch of addresses and started sending tapes out to all the school, or all the, school, all the uh, stations in, in Alberta, pretty much, and uh, ended up getting a job at Red Deer. But I think back, and you, you had, you said five interviews, and one of them hired you. And out of those four that turned down Dan Shulman, that, to me, that's like cutting Michael Jordan. 
<laughs> from high school, from the high school. I, I have, well, I thank you for that. But I, I mean, I think of two things. One is, you know, I think people on the outside sometimes think like people like you or me or whatever, we just show up and it's an overnight success sort of thing. It's the exact opposite. Yeah. It could not be yeah. from the truth. Yeah. But I have a letter. I won't say from who, and I won't say from what radio station it's from, but you know the station and you would know the name. Now, this is back in the 1980s. And the right. letter says, thank you very much for your tape. Um, perhaps you are better suited for, and it was something like, you know, the Peterboroughs or the Kitcheners of this world. All the <laughs> Uh, something like that. So I don't, I don't keep it with any, and I haven't looked at it. It's stashed away in a file full. I don't keep it with any bitterness at all. I keep it to remind myself to follow your dreams and to work hard. And that if you work hard enough and you have some ability, you can get places maybe that people don't think you can get. And, and I totally get it. Again, I didn't have, listen, I've heard that cassette that I submitted in 1990 to try to get jobs. And Scott Metcalf, who used to teach, Scott Metcalf, yeah. who used to teach in addition to running a radio network, uh, he would play my cassette to his students as an example right. of, look how bad he was then and look where he is now. So like, it wasn't good. I, I don't blame people for not giving me a chance. Uh, I'm just grateful that CKBB did because if that one station hadn't, like I had exhausted I, I kind of just went through every station I could think of in Ontario. I don't know if I expanded beyond Ontario, but um, if that hadn't worked out, uh, I might have gone back to business school. Like this might not have gone anywhere. So uh, I'm always grateful for that. Yeah, I got the same. I got, it wasn't a letter, though, it was a phone conversation at CKCW in Wetaskiwin. And the uh, news director said, uh, you know what? I just don't think you have the, you know, the ability to, to, to work in this market and a market this big. So, you, you know, I think you're, you're better suited for some of the smaller, you know, because this market yeah. was relatively close to, uh, to Edmonton. It was, there you go. But you know, you keep, yeah. you keep plugging away, don't you? Like, I mean, you know, before that you never know, cause that break could be just right around the next corner as I'm sure it was. Yeah. One of the things, if I'm asked to speak to a, a class of students, young, you know, high school, university, broadcasting students, whatever, one of the things I say to them is you only need one yes. Um, you know, whether you're one for one or one for 50, all you need is one. I mean, you'd like to have 10 offers to choose from, but the world doesn't work that way. It's way, and I think it's way more competitive than it, than it was when you and I were young. I don't think I could get into the business now without having a proper background. I didn't really have a proper background back then. So, um, but you only need one yes. And it can be discouraging. That's, that's the hard part. It, it beats you down emotionally when you keep getting knows or they don't phone you mm. back or anything like that. Mm -hmm. it's, I don't envy, you know, I've got younger, I've got children who are in their twenties, right. Who have, who are going through this or who have been through this. It's, it's discouraging. So uh, it was a whole different world back then, but I try to tell people that all you need is one yes, and then make the best, you know, run with that situation. Cause that may be the only chance you have. Well, so, um, what happened at the fan? Cause you've got some opportunities there. Uh, what, yeah. How did things um, unfold for you there? So, well, very quickly, I did that. I did it my first weekend of Saturday Sundays, and when I came out after that, the 12 p.m. I think it was sportscast. I was doing three minute sportscasts on the hour. Scott Metcalf was sitting there, and he said, "We jumped the gun on this. We it's a little bit too soon. Not quite ready." So I went back. I I was still in Barry Monday to Friday because they had offered me a Saturday Sunday. So it was my Second stretch of two different jobs, uh, a five-day week and a two-day week. So they, I was taken off the air after one weekend. It took me about three, four months to get back on. Um, 
they they put me back on because they went back to having newscasters do the sports casts at CJCL, yeah. and they they just as they were transitioning into more of a sports station, you know, they were they just wanted mm-hmm. people who had more of a sports background. So eventually, I got back on, and I did weekend sports casts for a while, um, and then I started like filling in on the evenings a little bit here and there. And then came word, Alan Davis was the program director at the time. And again, we all knew we were going more sports and heading towards all sports, but it was not a sports talk station. There were no talk shows uh, on the air to my recollection mm-hmm. uh, at that time. Maybe Bob McCown was already doing something, but that was it. You know, in the evenings, we had Leafs or Jays, or it was the music of your life. Um, I remember sitting in. Um, wasn't even a lounge. It was a, like it was a room with a couch and a fridge that, that, that we sat in when we weren't on the air sometimes. And I was sitting with Todd Macklin, who was a young producer, um, uh, helping out behind the scenes. And Alan Davis walked in and he said, "You two, He said, "As of this weekend, we're going to be all sports five p.m. to midnight. Um, when we don't have a Leaf game or a Jays game, you're on eight to midnight. Have fun." And walked out of the room. <laughs> I was 25 and Todd was 24. And we just looked at each other and went, holy, like, what do we do? And this was like three days in advance. And we did it. We put a show on the air and we, you know, we got stringers in other markets. You know, let's go to Edmonton and hear how the Oilers are doing. Joe Tilly, what do you have? You know, phoner, you know. Right. I remember those we we would do interviews. We would take some calls. I didn't have a co-host. It's just me. I, I, did, I had no idea what I was doing, but God bless Alan. He, he saw enough that he said, if I throw these two in the deep end, they'll swim. And we barely swam, but we swam. Um, and so I started doing an evening talk show when the Leafs and Jays weren't on. And then I don't remember how much later, a year later, maybe we went all sports. And when we went all sports, then they moved me to the midday show, the 12 to 4 show, noon to 4. Um, again, no co-host except I would cross over. Bob McCown was doing 3 to 7 at that point. So the 3 to 4 hour, I was with Bob and Barb DeGiulio. Um, We did an hour together. But I was doing middays. And then eventually, they made a change on the morning show. And Bob McCown went to the morning show. And then I went to primetime sports for... Um, two years, kind of from 1993 to 1995. And uh, so I was at the fan in total, maybe four and a half, five years and, and did, a bun- uh, did a bunch of different stuff. You know, did some Blue Jay pregame and postgame shows, a little bit of Maple Leaf pregame and postgame, but I had more of a baseball identity, I think. On the talk show, we talked baseball a lot. We talked basketball a lot. And again, this was before the Raptors. Uh, were there. I remember Alan Davis walking into the studio as I was doing a show like in 1994 and saying, stop talking about basketball so much. Nobody cares. And like two months <laughs> later, Toronto got an expansion franchise and he walked in and he goes, okay, now you can talk about basketball. So I was able to start doing that, but it was great. They gave us a lot of freedom. Almost everybody working at the station was in their twenties. We were just learning on the fly. At that point, there was WFAN in New York, and I think one other talk sports station somewhere in the U.S., and then us. Like, this this whole thing was really in its infancy. Nobody thought we could succeed. Nobody. And, as you'll remember, there was a baseball strike and a hockey locker uh, right in the, in the mid-'90s. We went months without having games to wow. talk about at a time. So, um, you can't learn more than I learned in those couple of years, but uh, I'll always uh, have very fond memories of my time. 
what was it like working with Bob and uh, in, eventually following in his footsteps on primetime sports? Yeah, it was a little bit intimidating at the beginning. I mean, Bob was a very established person in the market. He was a star, obviously. Um, and, and he, you know, he was great to me, but I would, it was, uh, it was a little intimidating at times. There were some areas where I thought we clicked seamlessly and some areas where it didn't come as naturally. Um, it was only, it wasn't my whole time there It was maybe, maybe a year and we crossed over for one hour. So, um, but we had fun. I learned, learned a lot from him. He, you know, he had great connections and a great way of interviewing people and a great way of putting his opinions on the air. I mean, you can't learn as a young radio talk show host, which is what I was then. And what at, at that point, that's what I thought I would always be. Uh, I didn't know I would end up doing play-by-play. But, um, you know, you can't learn more from anybody than you can learn from Bob McCown. I mean, he's everybody knows what kind of career um, he had. So, you know, again, it was one of those experiences. And I've had a lot of them where it was, how, do, how did I get here moment? Like, uh, 1989, I graduate from Western. 1990, I'm in Barry. 1991, I'm at CJCL, but I'm doing sportscasts. Um, 1992, I'm doing talk shows. And 1993, I'm doing primetime sports. Like, it, it was fast. Um, and as I look back in hindsight now, it seems even faster. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of opportunities came my way, and, and a lot of that was just good timing. You know, the fan transitioning into an all-sports station, um, I got to go to the 1994 Olympics and do the 1994 World Championship of Basketball. John Shannon hired me to do both of those. And that was just kind of a quirky stroke of luck that he that I was the guy that he wanted. And that had a huge impact on my future career. Um, so I was just eager to learn everything I could learn back then. And, and Bob, you know, was obviously one of the guys I learned a lot from. OK, what made you think it would be a good idea to try out for that Jay's gig? <laughs> uh, so Jim Hewson, the great Jim Hewson was doing hockey and baseball at the time. So this is now, let's call it November of 94. So remember no world series in 94 baseball ends without a, a right. world series because the strike is on. Right. Um, and Jim decides, I think to move back to Vancouver and to focus on hockey and not to do two sports. I don't remember, honest to God, and, and, and people who know me well will tell you this is my brain. I don't remember if somebody called me or if I called them I, and to say, hey, I'd like to audition. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I did. And I went in an audition, let's call it November of 94. So I go into TSN, who at the time, that's who Jimmy Houston was calling games for. Back then, yep. as you probably remember, there were three different entities, three different networks that split the Blue Jay pack. TSN had the the biggest chunk of it, they had 80 games. And I go in to call the game, and Buck Martinez is the analyst then and now, and Buck's sitting there at TSN. And I knew in advance, and again, I don't know how they sent it to me. Maybe they couriered it to me. We called a game from earlier with the 94 season, a game that Buck had called when it actually happened. It was a game between the Royals and the Blue Jays, so I guess they mailed me or couriered me um, the game notes from that day. Uh, yeah. But I didn't know what happened in the game. Like, again, no internet, right? So I guess I could have looked it up. Or I think I avoided looking it up. Or I don't even know how I would have looked it up. But the funny part about the game, Joe, is nothing happened. It was a one-to-nothing game as far as my memory <laughs> serves. Kevin Apier and Pat Hempkin. And we did six innings of the game. Like, both guys struck out like 11. Nothing happened in the whole game. 
Um, and I went and I was sick too. I was sick as a dog, like coughing and wheezing and all that. And I called the six innings and we were just doing it, you know, with a big TV in front of us. And little did I know yeah. that up in the corner offices, like I was so young and naive, uh, green, you know, the bosses were watching. I didn't know that. And uh, so I do it and I say, thank you very much. And um, then I got invited up to the corner offices for a, for a conversation. We had a conversation and I got a, we'll be in touch. And I said, great. And like a week later, I got a call and they said, uh, you didn't get the job. And I said, okay, because I didn't expect to get the job. I was 27 right. years old, 27 years old. And yeah. I had done, by that point, I had done the Olympics on CTV for uh, hockey. And I had done um, the world championship of basketball, like I said, that John Shannon hired me for, for basketball. So I had done a little play by, and incredibly enough, it, like it was on CTV, but uh, on a national network, but that's because they had the Olympic rights for Lillehammer and CBC had all the announcers and uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, um, yeah. I just caught a huge break. They needed a guy and John Shannon, who I had collaborated with a little bit, I guess, on the fan stuff and being around the Leafs a little bit. So he hired me. So I had a little play by play, but in my life before that audition, I had done one inning of baseball play by play and it was in the spring training of 93 or 94 when I was down there covering it for the fan and Tom and Jerry, Tom Chief Jerry Howard said to me, Hey kid, you want to do an inning? And I did an inning and I had done one inning wow. of baseball play by play before the audition. Never in a billion years could you get a job like that with that little experience. Never, never, ever, ever. Um, so they called me and said, you didn't get the job. And I said, okay. And then like in January, February, like a couple of months later, whoever it was called me back and said, are you still interested? And I said, yes. And they said, come on in. And I don't know who they hired or tried to hire, or I don't know what happened, honestly. But I got the job a couple of months later. Every job I've always got, I've ever gotten, I was never the first choice and I never got it initially. <laughs> and that kind of so, but who cares, right? You got it. So, so say in February of 95, um, TSN hired me to, uh, to be the play-by-play -play announcer for the Blue Jays. And, um, the two, uh, uh, I've had three enormous breaks in my life. We might get to the third one was Scott Metcalf working with me as much as he did. Two was TSN taking a chance on me to be the Blue Jays announcer as inexperienced as I was. And w w maybe we'll get to the third one later, but yeah, that, and that, that was a life-changing, obviously life-changing moment for me. Um, I left the fan and from that point forward, uh, really wasn't a radio talk show host anymore, became a play-by-play -play guy. Okay, so we have a clip from uh, TSN, oh, circa God. maybe 98, I think. Anyway, the Jays are oh, God. It's, uh, at this point. <laughs> Let's roll that. Yeah. They've got an outstanding shot at it. Boston away back in second and the Blue Jays behind them in third. Baltimore has dropped to fourth. The Yankees have really made a mockery of what was considered to be, it may still be, the best division in all of baseball. Now for the Blue Jays, how tough a loss is that last night? Does that blow away all their momentum? No, I don't think it really does. The Red Sox lost, as we know, to the Yankees and the Blue Jays are still four and a half back and it's an important game for them tonight because just as we saw last time, the first game of a four-game series can really set the tone. A matchup we've seen before in the last couple of years what are your thoughts when you <laughs> see that kid well uh, well two things one i don't sound the same as i do now and i don't, don't understand don't. it because i've seen that clip and i've had people play uh -huh. that clip for me to mock me 
Two is, why did nobody say to me, Danny, shave your head. You're losing the battle. Just let it go. (laughs) (laughs) I should have done it years earlier. Um, Yeah, but I don't know. That's somewhere in the mid to late 90s. Uh, You know, Black Blazer, Yellow Crest, the old days. And um, uh, it it was great. I did Jay's Games for seven years for TSN before I went to ESPN full time. And, uh, you know, another huge break I got was Buck being the guy that I worked with. I mean, he taught me so much about baseball and so much about TV. One of the first things I remember him saying, and we were probably sitting at a bar having a beer when he said it. He said, if we can sound like we're sitting at a bar having a beer when we're calling a baseball game, we'll be okay. Um, And again, he's the guy I had done the audition with. And we just had this chemistry, honestly, from day one, Joe. And we didn't know each other. We barely, barely, barely knew each other. Like maybe I'd had him on my show once on the fan or something like that. But we just had this immediate chemistry, this ability to know. I knew what he was thinking. He knew what I was thinking. Neither one of us cared. Who said that great nugget on the air? You know, it didn't matter to either one of us. No egos between us. And it just clicked right away. So I was with TSN for seven years, with Buck for the first six, and then he was the manager in 2001. So Pat Mm. Tabler moved into the booth in 2001. So, um, but all of a sudden I was a major league play-by-play announcer and and from out of nowhere. And, um, you know, if I thought things were moving fast, uh, in the few years prior, I mean, that's when things kind of really uh, just really got going for me. And, and, and it was wonderful. It was a very, very exciting time. Okay, we have another clip from the booth. Vicky, uh, if you can roll that. You got it. <laughs> I told you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You still got it, my I man. Got it. Wow. Okay. I could always awesome. catch. I couldn't hit. Yeah. So that's a situation where Buck must have made an amazing catch because we didn't catch, we didn't see the catch itself, but we right. heard the uh, the reaction to it afterwards. Uh, uh, you got pretty excited about that. What kind of play was it? Do you recall? Uh, I don't recall to be honest with you, but I think that's 2016 because my first year when okay. I came back was 2016, and I think that was the only year all three of us were in the booth together, and you could see Tabby there. Um, and right. as well, that was Yankee Stadium. So I don't, I don't remember the moment to be honest with you. But obviously, he made a great catch. We don't get foul balls in, in the booth uh, at the Rogers Center. There's been maybe one or two over the years. We're just too high up. But at other ballparks, uh, they can get in there and they can get in there fast. So you always have to have your your wits about you. Old Tiger Stadium, where Buck and I worked a lot together back in the '90s, which was my is is and will always be my favorite. Um, I think my favorite ballpark to go to, I just loved old Tiger Stadium. We were incredibly close to the plate. And on the back wall, you could see like this cork board and it looked like somebody had taken a machine gun to it, shot holes in it. But those were baseballs that had just hit it because they came back in the booth so much. Various announcers would call games with a glove on or with a net or something in front of them. So baseball is fun because crazy stuff happens, you know, in, in basketball, football and hockey because the action is tighter or faster or there's a clock or whatever you want to say, you know, it's less weird stuff happens in other sports. Weird stuff happens in baseball. And I've always been a fan of sharing that with people at home. You know, if, if something silly happens, tell them what it is. If something serious happens, tell them what it is. If I make a mistake, own up to the mistake. It's okay to laugh. You know, I don't think I'm ever uh, accused of being too silly on the air, but it's okay to have some laughs and to, celebrate a great catch by buck in the booth or something like that so uh, uh i haven't seen that one so i'm glad you found that one. 
Well, let's uh, let's look, we're going to skip over a few here, Vic, and look at another weird play. This is uh, Jay's at Fenway a couple of years back, and it's uh, Rymel Tapia at the plate. Let's let's listen to that call from 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 Dan. Sends a drive to deep center, but where is it? And it's over, way over the head of Duran, who never saw it. He never saw it. Tapia round third, heading home. And inside the park, grand slam for Rymel Tapia. <laughs> so you talk about weird stuff happening during a baseball game, yeah. and you never know how things are going to unfold. Is that one of the weirdest ones that you can recall? Well, that game was one of the weirdest ones. I think the score was 28 to 5, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and I believe the major league record for runs is 30. And I think Danny Jansen had a chance to tie it or break it in the ninth inning if he had hit a home run. Um, but that was just one of those crazy games that year where the Blue Jays scored a zillion runs. And, and Boston was bad. And it was one of those nights you couldn't see the ball. It was gloomy or whatever it was. And, and yeah, inside the park, grand slams are pretty rare. Uh, you know, unassisted triple plays, no hitters, uh, inside the park grand slams might be even rarer than those. So, uh, yeah, weird stuff, weird stuff happens. And, um, you know, part of the beauty, but also part of the challenge of being a play by play announcer is it's live. There's no script, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I had done sports, I had written sports casts and rehearsed sports casts and done them. Obviously you get into play by play, there's no script. And, uh, once you say it, it's out there. So you kind of always got to be paying attention and on your toes because you never know what's going to happen. Well, I want to get back to working with Buck for a second here because I, I remember a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but after after your audition with Buck, I think uh, after you left, I, word has it that he turned to the boss and, and who was whoever's ever there with the audition and said, he's your guy. He's your mm-hmm. guy. Is, is there true and truth uh, to I, that? I believe that's true. You'd have to ask him. Yeah. But again, they didn't offer me the job right away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't get it until a couple of months later. So I guess right. Buck's opinion didn't hold a whole lot of sway. But uh, I am told that's true. Um, uh, but it, you'd have to ask Buck. But if he said that, that's very kind of him. Again, I was so inexperienced. I had a I had a baseball background. Again, I was doing a ton of the pre and post game shows. Um, you know, you, you'll remember Scott Ferguson, of course, who did the, the Major League mm-hmm. Report and Baseball Today. I filled in for Fergie and did a lot of those. And I filled in for Bob and did a lot of the Jays talk. So I was around the team a lot and I loved baseball. And you know what? That goes back to my statistics brain, I think. I loved the numbers of baseball uh, back then. And so I think I had a you know pretty good, not a, not a fantastic, but a pretty good baseball foundation. I learned over the years how much more I had to learn. But I think I had a pretty good baseball foundation. And you know, as you know, some guys just have a better sound for some sports like I don't know if I could do uh, you know I do some sports better than I do others and and some people yeah, yeah. if you say to some people what's easier baseball or hockey some people would say oh baseball and it's not even close and some people would say oh hockey and it's not even close it just kind of depends on what you're more comfortable with the, the content the pace of the game that sort of stuff I always loved talking about baseball and was I uh, was and still am very happy to be conversational about it or during the game so uh, I guess I was just lucky that fate found me and, and put me in the right chair at the right time. And, okay, speaking of fate, tell us about the gig with ESPN, how that came about. 
Well, that's a fun, another funny story. So that's the third moment. So uh, we're going to back up in time here before TSN. I'm still at the fan, uh, say 1993. And I walk out of my, like my 11 PM sportscast. I don't even think I'm doing primetime sports or anything like that. You know, I'm doing sportscasts and I walk out and the phone rings in the newsroom and I pick it up and there's a, vo- a voice on the other end that says, is this Stan? And I said, yes. And he said, my name is Al Jaffe and I work for ESPN. And I'd like to talk to you about uh, auditioning for our radio network. And I thought it was my uh, university uh-huh. roommate, Rob, and on, <laughs> going back to my CHRW days at Western when they would prank me and stuff. And I said, that's yeah. pretty good, Rob. I said, you gave yourself a decent New York accent then. And there's silence <laughs> on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in that moment, I'm like, huh. <laughs> and then the voice starts again, and he says, I'm going to say this one more time. My name is Al Jeff. And, and I went, oh, damn. And I was still a little suspicious. So this yeah, is yeah. all true, I swear to God. I was still a little suspicious. So I said, Al, I've got one more sportscast to do. Can I call you right after the next one? And he said, yes. And this was, this was my way of trying to figure out if he was legit. I said, give me your number and I'll call you right back. And at the time, it was a 203 area number. It's 860 now. But it was a 201203. Yeah. So I said, okay, I got him. Either he's real or this phone call is not going anywhere. So I called him after my next sportscast and he picked up the phone. So the story was um, CJCL was on 1430 then. It wasn't even on 590. And again, no internet kids. You got to keep that in mind always. He's in Connecticut and he's been told there's a talented young radio host, I guess, on a station in Albany or Syracuse. I, I don't know where. And apparently the signal of that station was like 1420. And back then, you know, you this is how you got yeah, your radio yeah, stations. Yeah. You earned the dial. Yeah. And he accidentally got me in Toronto from Connecticut and heard me and called me. And uh, a week or two later, I was on a plane down to Connecticut. ESPN radio had just started like a couple of months before, and it was not a 24-7 thing. They did Saturday, Sunday morning talk shows. So this is the third of my three times where I had two different jobs. I was working at the fan Monday to Friday, and I went down to ESPN and did radio for them Saturday, Sunday. So that's how that was my uh, entree to ESPN. I did that for about 18 months. Um, and then when I got the Jays job, I had to give up both radio jobs because they just, yeah, you know, can yeah. do both. Um, and another lucky uh, thing for me, Buck at the time also was doing some ESPN baseball games when we, you know, we weren't doing them on TSN. So I think through radio and through Buck, ESPN just kind of had a, a little knowledge of who I was. So fast forward to like September of 95, my first year doing the Blue Jays, and we're in New York, and I think we were doing the Tuesday and the Thursday game, but we weren't doing the Wednesday game. This was common. Like one of the other networks was doing that game. So I had a day off. So I get back from the game Tuesday night to my hotel room, and the message light is flashing. And there's no, I don't have a cell phone then. It's 1995. This is how you talk. This is how you communicate. So I pick up the phone, and there's a message from... Uh, hi, Dan. My name is Jed Drake. I'm the coordinating producer of baseball at ESPN. Please give me a call immediately. Here's my number. It's like 1130 at night. Like we've just gotten back from the wow. Jays game. I don't know what to do, but I, he said, please give me a call immediately. So I gave him a call. He said uh, another, I can't remember who, but another one of their announcers had called in sick 
And we know, uh, uh, I guess they knew I wasn't working, although Buck wasn't on the game they, they asked me to do. He goes, can you go to Kansas City tomorrow and do the game? And I said, sure. And I, the next, I think it was the Angels and the Royals. The next day, I woke up and went to an airport and got a paper ticket and flew. And like, I didn't have, again, no internet. I didn't know who was pitching. I hadn't studied the rosters. And I did the Angels and the, and the Royals. Uh, one night, one Wednesday night in September for ESPN, and then went back to New York Thursday and did the Blue Jays and Yankees, and um, was incredibly nervous, like uh, Albert Brooks sweating, nervous, like that nervous. And and did the game and got a call saying thank you very much, uh, and I said you're welcome. And then about a month later, say in October of '95, I got a call from a, a gentleman named Dave Miller. He said I'm the coordinating. Uh, uh, no, I saw. I'm sorry. I got a call from somebody else who said. Just off chance, do you do any other sports? And I said, well, I've done some basketball. And then I got a call from Dave Miller, who said, I'm the coordinating producer of college basketball. Can you send me a tape? So I got a VHS tape of that world championship of basketball I had done the previous year in Toronto, sent it down to ESPN. And two weeks later, they called me and said, would you like to do college basketball for ESPN? And again, my life changed. So, uh, so then I was Blue Jays in the summer and college basketball in the winter. And uh, I, I had done a little hockey, junior hockey and NHL for TSN. And I'd done a little bit of Raptors and Grizzlies for TSN, but just a little bit. Um, and ESPN offered me a college basketball job. So now I was Jays in the summer and college basketball in the winter. And lo and behold, after doing a million other things, that's what I am now all these years later. I've, I've kind of gone back to where I was back in the late 90s. Well, as as an you know, getting that gig at, at ESPN, getting a call, uh, you know, Sunday night baseball and everything else, you get you get a chance to make uh, some of the greatest calls and uh, uh, the biggest games in, in baseball history. Uh, Vic, let's roll some of those uh, some of those calls. These are radio calls that you made, World Series calls. And for the third time in five seasons, the San Francisco Giants are the champions of the baseball world. And the Kansas City Royals have won the World Series. And the Cubs have won the World Series. For the first time in 108 years, the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions. Okay, when I hear that, uh, I, I get shivers. Like 108 years, or, you know, that, what what was that uh, calling that game like for you? Well, calling the World Series. So during the the regular season for ESPN for uh, many many years, I did TV, but we didn't have TV rights in the postseason. We had all the radio rights, so I switched over to radio. And for the last 12 years, ending last year, I was fortunate enough to to call the World Series. ESPN radio. Uh, so my first one was 2011 when the Cardinals beat the Rangers. My last one was last year. And, you know, the, the Cubs one does stand out, obviously, because uh, it hadn't happened in over a century. So yeah. um, those moments are some of my favorites of my entire career. Uh, baseball is a beautiful radio sport, a wonderful radio sport. And to be able to do the World Series on the radio um, was fantastic. And, and, you know, you think of all the different teams that won it. Um, over the years, so I did Red Sox and Giants and Astros and Cubs and Dodgers and and uh, Nationals, Braves. Um, you know, so it was um, it, it was great. Very, very, very special moments and wonderful memories. Okay, back to the Blue Jays now for a minute. This is one of my favorite Blue Jay moments. I'm sure a lot of people agree with this. I, I was at the uh, 
you know, in the press box that day when this happened, uh, you got a chance to call this game. It's game five of the ALDS Jays and Rangers. And uh, let's listen to that, Vic. 1-1. Bautista drives it deep left field. Gone! Suddenly it is six to three for Toronto. The Blue Jays dugout has erupted as they greet Bautista at the edge of the track. So have you ever seen the place like that before? Have you ever seen a building like that before? No. I'll tell you two funny stories if you want. So um yeah. again, that's for ESPN radio. Most people in Canada are like, why was he Dan called that game? Like you, people in Canada either watch the game on TV, U.S. national TV, or they heard Jerry Howarth call that home run um, on, on the radio. So I was doing the playoffs for ESPN Radio, and I think I was in Chicago the night before doing the Cardinals and Cubs, and my series ended. And uh, I was in a taxi on my way back to the hotel, and, and my boss, John Martin, called me, and he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to the Blue Jay game. I had bought tickets for my family, but if I was there, I was going to use one of the tickets. Um, and he said, can you call the game? He said, ESPN took Dave, I think it was Dave Fleming, took Dave Fleming off the game. They needed him for a college football game on TV. We don't have an announcer. Can you do game five tomorrow? I said, hell yeah, I can do that game. So I flew home, um, and got parachuted in just for game five of that series. I had not done the first four games of that series because I was on the Cardinals and the Cubs. So I did the game with Rick Sutcliffe. And then the other thing, yes, it was the most intense sporting moment I've ever been at that whole inning. I mean, it started in the top half of the inning and you were there. So, you know, when Russell Martin's throw hit Shinsu Chu's bat yes. and a run scored and they littered the field with bottles, which was terrible. But yeah. you know, there was a yeah. feeling of, well, nobody wants the blue Jays to win. The U S TV networks don't want us to win. The umpires are out to get us, uh -huh. you know, none of which was yeah. true. It was a properly, that was the rule. They, they did the right thing. The run should have scored. But that moment when Bautista hit that home run, to me, was 22 years of emotion and frustration erupting out of Blue Jay fans. So that inning, mm -hmm. top and bottom, was the most intense thing I was ever at. Um, I had bought four tickets, I guess. I had bought four tickets for, like, for the playoff series. So my mom and dad and two of my sons were at the game. And, and in the top half of the inning, I texted them and I said, do not leave the ballpark. I said, I'm going to come get you. Like, there might be a riot outside, you know, when all hell was breaking. Yeah. And then after yes. Bautista Homer, I, yeah, after Bautista Homer, I sent a text to all of them and I said, we're good. I'll see you at home. So <laughs> everything's going to be fine. So, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's another um, uh, very, you know, uh, if people say to me, what are your most, uh, you know, what are your top uh, favorite moments from your career? That's always in my top three or four. And again, it was just a total fluke that I wound up on that game. Okay, I want to go back to uh, to basketball. Now you talked about your college basketball years and calling college basketball. Uh, we have a clip of you calling a game between uh, Georgia Tech and Duke, I believe, twenty ten. And Kyle Singler comes and pays you a little visit. Yeah. Let's let's have a look at that. Thirty years in college basketball. Glenn Rice has got to be on the short list of one of the best college shooters you've seen. Absolutely, no question about it. And what a team they have! Oh wow! Take the charge, Dan. Take the charge, buddy. Hey, hey, Dan. You got the charge. I give you a charge. Charge, baby. Charge. <laughs> so, what? Tell us exactly what happened. We're gonna watch you get. <laughs> 
<laughs> I got smoked get is it, what happened. It. So yeah, Kyle yeah, Singler's yeah. chasing down the loose ball. If this runs further, you might see another angle that shows it a little bit better. And he dove to save the loose ball, which he did. The game kept going. The, the whistle did not blow until at this point, as you can see. Here you'll see it. And he saves the ball. And he has no choice. And he lands right on top of it. And uh, I think broke the chair, like the legs of the chair broke, broke the headset, the TV monitor. You can see, like, it's a it's a yard sale. Um, and uh, I thought I stood in there pretty good, you know, for uh, uh, maybe it's a little Canada tough background or something like that. But he could not he could not have hit me more directly if he tried. And I was like, why yeah. couldn't it be a 6-1 guard? Why does it have to be a 6-8 forward yeah. who comes and gets it? But that's the legendary Dick Vitale right there, who I was working with. And my mic was out, so Dick didn't know what to say. So over and over, he just kept saying, oh, he took the Take charge. the charge. Take the charge, Dad. He said it for 30 for seconds. Sure. He didn't know what else to say. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was, that, that was crazy. So we had a spare headset, and eventually they got us back on the air. Um, in the, in the, in the Greensboro Gazette, I think it's called the Greensboro newspaper the next day that that tournament was in Greensboro, North Carolina in the, mm -hmm. in the newspaper, the next day, the article said something like, uh, you know, like it had the game story. And then at the bottom, it said, um, there was an interesting moment in the first half of the game when Kyle Singler of Duke almost ran over legendary broadcaster Dick Vitale. I'm not even mentioned in the no. story. I was the guy who <laughs> <laughs> So, you're the, you're the guy who yeah, took the charge. Come on. <laughs> okay, so uh, you called some basketball this summer, which is pretty pretty awesome. Uh, Canada getting all the way to, to the semifinals, of course, winning the bronze medal. Uh, what was that Asian uh, World Cup experience like for you? It was wonderful. So Canada basketball has always been a passion of mine. Um, and going back like 20 years with ESPN, I had a clause in my contract when I was doing full-time baseball for ESPN. I, I had to fight for it, but I got a clause in my contract with ESPN saying, if the Canadian men's basketball team ever, ever qualifies for the Summer Olympics, you'll give me two weeks off to do the game, to do the Olympics, if somebody in Canada offers me the opportunity to do it. So they never made the Olympics, so it never happened. But um, that's just to, you know, to point out that this is something I've always, always, always loved. I've done a little bit more Canada basketball, I think, than people realize. Unfortunately, it's never when Canada's won. Um, right. When they lost that heartbreaker to Venezuela in the FIBA Americas to go to the 2016 Olympics, that was me. When they lost in Victoria to the Czech Republic a couple of years ago uh, to go to the Tokyo Olympics, that was me. Um, so, and then I did the Olympics for CBC last year, uh, our women's team was in it, but the men's team was not. So I've always wanted to do whatever Canada basketball was on TV, but most of it was always just streaming it while carried on TV. So Sportsnet, um, Bart Yabsley, who was one of my bosses at the time with Sportsnet did a deal with Canada basketball to televise, um, any and all available Canada basketball games. And so when I found out that I begged and pleaded, I said, can I do this? Um, and the World Cup obviously was huge. Everybody knows, you know, the hype around the program. Can the men get to the Olympics? Um, and I was thrilled to do it. Um, I wasn't in Indonesia or the Philippines. I was doing the games remotely from Toronto. And as uh, you may know, for about nine or 10 days on, you know, a few on both ends, I was overlapping doing Blue Jay games at night and, <laughs> and Canada games 
4.30 or 8.30 in the morning because of the time change. And only the fact that it was in Indonesia and the Philippines allowed me to be able to do both. So like some days I would wake up at 2.30 in the morning, do a game at 4.30, go back home and sleep at 7 and wake up at 10 and then go down to the ballpark, whatever. But I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I had so many people text me and say, dude, we had no idea you were in, you know, this much into Canada basketball. And a lot of people out there in Canada, I know, didn't even know I ever did basketball because they don't watch U.S. college basketball. So, um, but I loved it. And I thought it was an incredible journey that this team went on, Um, you know, to be down to France and come back and win, to be down to Spain in a must win game and come back twice to win, uh, to beat Slovenia, to beat the U.S. for bronze in overtime. It was, honestly, Joe, it was as exciting as anything I've ever done. And um, I'll be calling the Olympics for CBC in uh, next summer. Um, and I can't wait. Okay. Well, let's listen to some of that overtime call against the United States. <clears throat> Fade away. No. Tip by Powell. Dort has it. And back to Gilgis Alexander. Both teams crashing out. Offensive glass. The free. Shea Gilgis Alexander. And it's a five-point game. How impressed were you by Shea? I mean, the little ankle breaker there. That was what a oh. Yeah, I mean, first team all NBA, so we shouldn't have been shocked at how good he was, but he was phenomenal. Um, it goes without saying, without him, they don't get anywhere near where they got. Um, he took over so many games in the second half, and he's got such passion for it. And he, you know, Corey Joseph was the face of the program, and wonderfully so for many, many, many years. Now it's Shea. And Shea's passion for it, and I think the the player he is and the person he is draws in the other guys. Um, you know, obviously R.J. Barrett would be there. His dad is the GM, but Nikhil Alexander Walker is a cousin of Shea's. Dylan Brooks, uh, Olenek, and Powell have played for Canada forever. Lou Dort, hopefully Jamal Murray next year, maybe some others as well. But Shea was incredible. He's one of the best players in the world. I mean, you can't count to ten without getting to Shea Gilgis Alexander if you're if you're talking about the best players in the world. And FIBA basketball is totally different than the NBA. And you could see for him, it took a little while through the exhibition games in the early part of the tournament to really, really get the feel for it. But once he did, he was Shea. And um, it's it's just fantastic. I thought the whole thing was fantastic. Um, you know, I know how many people were way BC in the middle of the night to, to watch games and we're watching all across the country. And, you know, the fact that they qualified for Paris out of this means instead of eight or nine months of anxiety, like can they make it in a last chance tournament? Now it's eight or nine months of momentum. And, uh, you know, a tip of the cap to everybody at Canada basketball and, and to Shea Gilgis Alexander for uh, pulling a lot of these guys in. Yeah. I got up early to watch that Spain game. Well worth it. Well worth it. So, uh, what, do you think these guys have a legitimate chance uh, in, in Paris? I think they have a legitimate chance to medal. I mean, the United States looks like it is loading up. You know, the U.S. had a good team, but not a great U.S. team. They look like they're loading up. And in one game, anything can happen. Um, but if, you know, if Jokic is there, and, if, and, and it depends what countries are there too, right? If Giannis is there, if Wemby is there, uh, we know Embiid now has said he's going to play for the U.S. The, some of the teams will be stronger than they were um, in the World Cup. I think Canada's got a chance to do very well. I think to medal, realistically, they probably need a little bit more than they had 
at the World Cup. And again, I mentioned Jamal Murray. I mean, he's part of this program. Mm -hmm. He was one of the core 14 who committed, but he was coming off an ACL tear the year before and then an NBA championship coming into June this past year. If Jamal Murray wants to play, Jamal Murray's on the team. Um, there are other guys I think they'd like to have, but again, they asked for a commitment. So guys who didn't commit a couple of years ago, I don't know if they will be given consideration. Andrew Wiggins, for example, is a guy who falls into that group. I, I, I don't know if they will or they won't, but I think if they get Murray and they get one or two other guys, um, that will really help them. At the same time, they have said, Jordy Fernandez has said many times they want to be loyal to the 12 guys who, who got, who played for them in the world cup, uh, you know, because. Um, they did so well. Yes, they'll definitely be competitive. Like they're not going to finish 12th out of 12. Uh, but to have a chance to play for a medal, I think they've got to add a little bit to what they have. I think Jamal plays, and I think that they they got a real good shot at a medal. I, I, I'm with you on that one. So um, I just want to touch on on, on the on the uh, on the JCs and just wrapped up before we let you go. And Disappointing, you know, in, in game one of that playoff series, you had uh, B- uh, Bobachet's decision to score, which some people will, you know, criticize. And but I mean, in the moment, uh, you know, it's not a team that scores a lot of runs, so maybe why not? Why not try something? You got Barrios being pulled early. There's been a lot of, you know, a lot of talk about what happened there, whether that should have happened, or the analytics folks first. I know the fans are not ha- <laughs> don't simply be happy with the analytics involved in that. Been a lot of a, a lot of pushback, and of course. Vlad uh, Jr. getting picked off at second base. Bottom line, though, is Jay scored one run in 18 innings, and that's yeah. a problem. Is that the problem going forward? Is that, you know, Dan, the general manager, is that what Dan's fixing? Uh, I, I think there are a few issues they have to fix, but I think the biggest one is the offense. Uh, I mean, they just didn't score enough runs. Um, you know, and let's assume that Belt and Chapman and Kiermeyer and Merrifield are not going to be back, so they've got some holes to fill as well. They got to go out and get some guys and they have to hope that some of the guys from the system are ready to contribute. Like I think David Schneider gets a real chance to be a real guy on this team next year. Uh, I don't know if Arelvis Martinez and Addison Barger are ready yet, but they, you know, does Nathan Lucas get more of a chance? They, they've got to get some help from the system as well. They had as good a pitching staff as there was in baseball this year. And there's no guarantee that'll happen next year. You know, they got some guys in their thirties. So, um, Hopefully the pitching is as good, but the offense has to be better. I don't know. It sounds like they go back to the drawing board and say, okay, is our, you know, are we giving these guys the right information? Are we giving these guys the right approach? Like the, uh, the whole seemed to be less than the sum of the parts for the Blue Jays this year offensively. Mm. But, um, you know, you know, some of the guys who they still have and have had for multiple years are the guys who dropped off. Vladdy dropped, you know, we all know there's more mm. than Vladdy. George Springer dropped off. Alejandro Kirk dropped off. Dalton Varsho didn't have the year he had had before with Arizona. Um, you know, they got to find a way, hopefully, to get a little bit more out of each of these guys to help make up for the guys they've lost. Um, and then there's not a ton on the free agent market. Maybe they'll get somebody, but it, I, I think it's possible a big trade is coming um, in order to uh, in order to hopefully get this. So... Uh- how cool is it to have your son Ben following your footsteps as a broadcaster? Uh, we we have actually cool. have a little something for 
from Ben from from Syracuse when he was there. Let's see all that. Oh, okay. Thanks so much for joining us it's, today at uh, let's hear. on the campus of Syracuse University, alongside the former All-American and SU star Tracy Parker. I'm Ben Schulman. Tracy, both these teams have gotten their first game against Sacred Heart out of the way. For Syracuse, this is a major test now in an America East foe in Vermont. Here's Syracuse's chance. Two on zero for the Orange. Malotny shoots, save, rebound, saved again. Pasechnik stands tall. Aladdin Moye now guarding the man on the ball. That's Nakai Montgomery, who was caught on defense for Syracuse's first goal of the game. Montgomery breaks right, shoots, a bouncer. So there you go. It's just like Daddy does it all, right? Uh, but of course, <laughs> he's doing the Jays now, which is very, very, very awesome. And he's doing a great job. Yeah. It's very fun for me. So he went to Syracuse. He's known since he was about 10 years old. He wanted to be a broadcaster. At Syracuse, he did about six or seven different sports. Um, and when he graduated as a foreign student, and if you go to a U.S., get a one-year work visa off the back end of your uh, studies. So during that year, he did some stuff like for the ACC network, ESPN Plus, their streaming network. Uh, he did some women's basketball, men's basketball, did a couple of football games. Um, as we saw there, he's done other sports too. He's, he's a versatile kid right now. Uh, well, he was um, uh, kind of the fill-in play-by-play guy for the Blue Jays when Ben Wagner wasn't there. He did about yeah. 30 games on the radio, did some pre- and post-game shows, and he's going to be doing, for the second year in a row, games for the Raptors 905, their G League team, wow. this winter. So I, I'm, I'm very happy for him. He's loving it. He's having a good time. Um, and uh, I, I told him he can have my job, but he needs to wait about 10 more years, and then, I'll, then, then he can have it. So, but... Um, he's off to a good start, and I think uh, I don't know where he's going to wind up and what he's going to do, uh, but I think he's going to have a nice career. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, good-looking kid too, by the way. So, your your dad wins the uh, the the uh, Jack Rainey Award, finalist for the Ford C Frick Award. How cool is that to be uh, honored by the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and and almost get that award? Inter interestingly enough, the winner of the Ford C Frick Award was. Jack Rainey. You're right. In, in yeah. Um, posthumously, of course. It, it, was, it was, it's wonderful to be acknowledged by people in the, you know, your peers, people in the business. So um, very, very honored by both, uh, you know, to be, to get the media award for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame was, was wonderful. And then the, the nomination for the Ford Frick Award came a few years ago. It, it's funny because you can be on the, they've changed the way the, the, um, the award works. So you can be on one year and off and then on and then off. And, and um, it was a complete, uh, you know, bolt out of the blue. I had no idea about the uh, uh, being nominated for the Ford Frick Award. It was back in 2020. And I remember that because I had just come back from being in the U.S. for about two months working for ESPN because you couldn't cross. It was during COVID. Couldn't go back and forth across the border. And when I came back to Toronto, I had to quarantine for two weeks. So I was in an apartment downtown. Um, I couldn't come home because of my wife and son and then they wouldn't be able to go out. So I remember I was just like sitting in this apartment, trying not to go crazy for two weeks and the phone rang and that's how I found out that I was nominated. So, um, yeah, both very, you know, special and, and gratifying. I, I didn't, I didn't get into the business. Like I got into the business, like I said, cause I wanted to do something I enjoyed, you know, cause, uh, my dad looked tense on Sunday night. So that, that's what I try to always yeah. think about is just have fun doing this. Uh, but it, both of those uh, meant a lot. And very enjoyable Sunday nights. Uh, one final question before I let you go. What's uh, the best advice you've ever received? 
Ooh, uh, well, I'll tell you the two bits of advice I give, so I must have received them. One is uh, don't get into this business unless you're really prepared to work. Like if you're getting into this to be rich and famous, get into something else. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of work. And uh, two, I would say is be a good teammate. You know, when we do a Blue Jays game on Sportsnet, there are probably 30 or 40 people working, audio, tape, cameras, uh, technician, statistician, producer, director, you name it. Um, they're all important. And just like, you know, if you're a coach or a manager in sports, you want to make the most important on, uh, you know, the, you want to make the superstar and the fourth liner all feel important and all understand that they mm -hmm. bring value. That's what you should do on a TV show as well. Um, you know, try to get to know people's names, try to get to know what they do. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about being part of the best show that, that you can be a part of. Well, that's why, in addition to being a great broadcaster, you're a great guy, Dan. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. <laughs> I appreciate it, Joe. Great to see you and great to catch up. Why do I look older and you look younger? That's the one part I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand it. We don't know how that works, but it is what it is. Good for you. Good for it's you. All the best. Great Thanks, catching buddy. up with you. Yeah, thank you so much. More sports when we come back. You got it. What our kids breathe matters more than ever. But how can you tell if a school is safe to breathe in? If you could actually see what's in the air, would you keep them home? Introducing Air Patrol, making the invisible visible, ensuring schools are safer for everyone. Breathe safely. My Swiss pick of the week. Last week, I went with a beautiful Irish bread, nation's pride in the 84th running of the Canadian International Woodbine, a mile and a quarter on the E.P. Taylor Turf Course. Nation's pride, stable made of Rico Woodbine mile winner, master of the seas, got off to a good start. Jockey Bill Buick happened to be sitting second to Royal Champion, heading into the final turn. Time for the multiple graded stakes winner to make that move. Here's Robert Geller with the call. Champions lead being whittled down gradually, a length of three quarters. Nation's Pride coming on. Nation's Pride coming with every stride, getting the leader now. And Nation's Pride's taken over and will come away and win the Canadian International. A very impressive display. And it's William Buick at Nation's Pride, two and a half. Royal Champion at Gallant second, six away at Damo third. Then Palazzi, English Conqueror, starting over. British royalty and Dyna Drive was last, 2365. Bill Buick, the winning rider of Nation's Pride, who tops the $3 million mark in earnings with that victory. Charles Appleby, the trainer for Godolphin Stables, who had a heck of a run here in Canada. Let's hear from the winning trainer. It's a race, obviously, we like, we're very keen to, to support and be here. And, uh, and, and thanks to everybody here uh, at Woodbine for looking after us so well and, and uh, being very supportive to us all. Um, but uh, for the horse's point of view, we felt that the conditions were there to suit him, apart from until the rain came. <laughs> but uh, we seem to have been following the rain a little bit the last couple of weeks. But, um, the, the, you know, the, the track conditions are there. It's a lovely long stretch. And, uh, you know, that's something we knew he'd enjoy. This week, I'm looking at Friday's seventh race with Woodbine, a mile at 116th on the Tapita, the number three horse, Lady Brew, with Ryan Munger aboard for trainer Stephen Chirkop, coming off a nice win September 9th. She's beaten in the money seven races in a row. I also like the 234 Exactor and Triactor box. Go to woodbine.com for all the latest, latest racing info 
replays on YouTube. You can also get the latest from Woodbine Thoroughbred and Woodbine Standard Bread on Instagram and X. Go to hpibet.com, darkhorsebets.com, and bet365 for your wagering options. Discover the finest patio experience in Toronto at the Stella Ortois Terrace. Situated on the third floor of Woodbine Racetrack, delight in mouth-watering shared appetizer and raise a toast to the evening. Relish expertly prepared main courses that will tantalize your taste buds. Capture the beauty of sunsets. Indulge in delectable desserts. Secure your reservation today and immerse yourself in the excitement of the races. Enjoy an unparalleled view of the thrilling finish line. Well, it's a special place and uh, the food is great, the atmosphere, it's uh, it's really a, a, a nice experience. Experience the enchantment of Stella Ortois Terrace, open four days a week. Undoubtedly the city's premier patio destination. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Attention security seekers, ready to take control? Introducing Corporate Protection and Investigative Services, your ultimate solution. Retailers tired of losing profits to theft? Our retail loss prevention experts have you covered. Mobile patrol, close body protection, insured door persons, we've got your security needs covered from all angles. Background investigations and civil recovery programs, trust us for thorough solutions. Licensed by the Ministry of Solicitor General, fully insured and bonded. Visit www.corporateprotection.ca or call 1-800-827-1692 for top-notch security and private investigation services. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting tax and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private public, and non-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more. And we want to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks. We highly recommend them all. Thank you for your support of Canadian and local sports. A reminder that the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts, as well as the Spanglish Network, Zingo TV, and Buzz TV Live. Also, check out the show on YouTube. All of our past great shows are on there. Some clips, some, some shorts. Like and subscribe. It is absolutely free. Thanks once again to Dan Shulman for being on the program. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time.
Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Air quality at work matters more than ever but there's no way to tell if the space is safe to breathe in. If you could actually see what's in the air, would you even come to work? Introducing Air Patrol, making the invisible visible, ensuring workplaces are safer for everyone. Breathe safely. Rooted in 60 years of tradition, Sleepy Hollow is a private golf club with a friendly community of members just minutes from Toronto. With mature trees and rolling fairways, Sleepy Hollow provides a challenging and enjoyable experience for passionate golfers. Enjoy great golf, amazing dining, and a picturesque patio second to none. Visit SleepyHollowCountryClub.com. Hi there, I'm Joe Tilly. Are you ready for an adventure of a lifetime? Next March, during the enchanting cherry blossom season, join me and my wife for an unforgettable two-week journey to Japan and South Korea. In Japan, you'll experience the magic of the season as we visit the stunning Osaka Castle against the backdrop of cherry blossoms. Feed the adorable Sika deer at Nara Park, glide through picturesque landscapes on the famed bullet train, Cruise on Lake Kawaguchi and witness the awe-inspiring view of Mount Fuji. Relax in natural hot springs and savor a delightful Fuji dinner banquet while dressing in traditional robes. And of course, we'll dive into Tokyo's cutting-edge technology scene. In Korea, dress in elegant hanbok attire and step back in time at Changdok Gong Palace. Wander through Andong Village, a true glimpse into Korea's rich heritage. Delight your taste buds with the flavors of Korean barbecue. We'll even visit the DMZ area to get a glimpse of mysterious North Korea. And guess what? This incredible journey is all yours for just $54.99, all inclusive with direct flights from Vancouver or $58.99 from Toronto. Book now to unlock up to an extra $1,700 in upgrades and savings. Let's make some memories. Let's explore. Let's travel. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com.